got two things from Sunday's Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. We got another look at how the cars are racing under the new regulations, which is good. And a new season rivalry between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc, which is very good. Hi, I'm Tony Desiree. This is the Overtake Formula One podcast, and we will review the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. We will go over the Verstappen win, how he and Leclerc put on another show, and the bad luck of pole sitter Sergio Perez. We'll also have our post-race report for all 10 of the teams. And then we'll also, at the end of this podcast, have a brief discussion on whether the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix should be on the calendar at all. But before we start, please subscribe to the podcast. If you like what we're doing, leave us a five-star review. We do really appreciate the support as we go into season number two. All right, qualifying on Saturday saw both Ferrari drivers running strong once again. And it looked like they were going to start 1-2 on the grid for Sunday's race, but then it was Sergio Perez who stepped up and had the killer lap, putting the Red Bull on top, and did so after Max Verstappen had some issues with grip that put him in P4. So you had Red Bull, Ferrari, Ferrari, and Red Bull. And so once again, we are seeing these two teams starting to battle for the front of the grid, while teams like McLaren and Mercedes still are figuring out how much work they have to do. Lewis Hamilton didn't even make it out of Q1. Now, I've seen some pundits say, well, that's not surprising at all, given Mercedes' trouble. But I, I'm, let me tell you something. If Lewis Hamilton can get out of Q1, I'm sorry. I, I, may, I may be in the minority here, but I find that very, very surprising. But it, it also makes me wonder what this season is going to look like um, if and when McLaren and Mercedes can get into this Ferrari-Red Bull battle. So Perez used that P1 start to get the lead of the Grand Prix right off the bat. Charles Leclerc was right behind him. Perez had some really good pace. Ferrari, though, appeared to be playing for the undercut. They radioed in, telling him to pit to take make the overtake. But that brought in Perez on lap 15. That sort of was sort of the counter move to what they thought Ferrari was going to do. So Perez comes in on lap 15 to hold that off. But Ferrari and Charles Leclerc stayed out. So this was lap 15. And then Nicholas Latifi hit the wall and that brought out the safety car. Now that gave the leaders a chance to pit and keep the lead. Perez, though, because he pitted early before the safety car dropping down to P4, and unfortunately for him, was never really a factor in this race. So, as the crews were cleaning up Latifi's car, Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen were the front two of the Grand Prix, and it was lap 16 of 50 when they were sorting it out, and on lap 20, the safety car came in, Leclerc was able to get the jump on Verstappen, and he had the lead of the Grand Prix. Hamilton, who did not pit because he started on the hard tires, was able to move up to seventh. But again, he had a pit stop coming. So to get off of those tires at some point, Leclerc, though, kept Max behind him. But in reality, Max was content to ride behind him as the Red Bull team told him to let Leclerc wear out his tires. The two had separated themselves from Carlos Sainz in third. So this was where the Grand Prix was going to be won. Right behind Sainz, George Russell was in fifth outside of Perez. Kevin Magnuson was running seventh. Hamilton, who still hadn't pitted yet, was running in the top 10. So on lap 37, Daniel Ricciardo stalled, and that brought out a yellow flag. Valtteri Botas then had to retire his car. Fernando Alonso had problems. He stalled out just before the pit lane as well. So they were able to get Alonso's car out of the way with about 10 laps to go. Hamilton was not able to pit under yellow, but had to 
pit as soon as we had green flag conditions. He was running sixth. He did come out 12th behind Kevin Magnuson, who pitted earlier during the yellow. But all of the eyes were on the front as Leclerc and Verstappen were setting up a showdown over the final few laps. Verstappen then took the lead using DRS on lap 42 of the 50 laps for the Grand Prix. Leclerc got it back on the front stretch, also with DRS. This was the same scenario that we saw in Bahrain when they were swapping first and second place. Both of these guys changing positions, and once again, we got some really, really good racing from both of these guys. This was really exciting to see up at the front. One, uh, they were locking in the corner. They kept going back and forth. Max would make a dive. Leclerc would close it off. Outside, inside. It was really good. It was a really, really good on-track battle. And by the way, this is exactly what the new regulations wanted to produce. That was good. About 10 laps of racing. I mean, 10 laps. As soon as we went from to the green flag, this is what we ended up getting between the leaders of the Grand Prix. Max made his move on lap 47. He hung on the back end of Leclerc until he was able to get off the corner on the final final turn and then towards the front stretch used DRS was able to get the lead and more importantly he was able to really extend that lead a little bit to hold off Leclerc who was tempting to get it back. Max then would lead the Grand Prix on lap 49. Alex Albon and Lance Stroll had some contact. Albon had to park it onto the side. That brought out the yellow in sector one. On the last lap the yellow is still out for sector one but when they cleared that the final two sectors of the lap Leclerc gave a battle fight for that lead but Verstappen held him off and won the Grand Prix. Carlos Sainz finished second. Sergio Perez though a heartbreaker for him. He ran P4 and George Russell in the Mercedes P number five. So there you have it, a pretty quick review of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix from the standpoint of what kind of racing it was. Now, it does raise some points. One, this race was fantastic. I mean, both drivers respected each other. They raced clean. I can't stress this enough. This is what the new regulations are designed to do. This is kind of the racing that they wanted to promote. But it wasn't just up front. You can go back into the midfield and find some good battles as well. Uh, the other point is, I do feel bad for Sergio Perez. He claimed his first pole of his career. He could have won this race if Latifi had not crashed. I don't know. I mean, to the end, I don't know if he's able to hold off Charles Leclerc. I don't know if Leclerc makes the undercut work or whatever whatever strategy they were using. But it is too bad for Perez. I mean, there was a lot of feel-good moments on Saturday when he captured that pole position. Um, the other point I wanted to make, and this is just personal. I don't know if you feel the same way, but it's just personal for me. I'm not a huge fan of the Jetta circuit. I know, I know some of you out there be like, well, it's only been two races there. I get it, but there's something about the, the, the track I'm just not fond of. I, I think it lends itself to too many accidents. I, I don't really enjoy the layout. It's fast. I give it that. And it's got some great places to overtake and it's got the three DRS zones. Uh, maybe I'll warm up to this when they when they use this for the next few years before they go on to their permanent circuit. But we are going to get to a conversation at the end of this podcast of whether the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix should be taking place in the you know at all. But this circuit, I got to be honest with you, there's something about it that I'm not quite a fan of. But I, I did like the way these two drivers for the final ten laps of this Grand Prix were racing each other. But I don't think it was the circuit. I think it was the regulations. I think these two could have done it in Austria. Silverstone could have done it at the Circuit of the Americas. I mean, it's just the fact that they are close. They both have really good pace. They're both fighting for the lead. They both respect each other enough. 
And I'm really, really excited about what this season is going to do for both of these drivers and especially for both of these teams. All right, now let's get to the team report card. This is where we go over the 10 teams and how they did in the Grand Prix. Red Bull, that's a great bounce back for the team. A win for Verstappen. It was a P4 for Sergio Perez. Now, as I said earlier, it's a shame for Perez. He might have won this race, but was unlucky with the safety car after he pitted for new tires, and then it came out. Nevertheless, the team was heading for points in Bahrain, and both cars suffered fuel pump issues. They ended up with nothing, and now they get a nice points haul from Saudi Arabia. And they also showed they've got the pace to battle for Ferrari. Right now, we're only two races into this. Right now, it is Ferrari Red Bull. We'll see if Mercedes can play catch up. We'll see if McLaren gets involved in there. We'll see if anybody else wants to take their run. But right now, it is Red Bull and Ferrari. As for the Scuderia, it's a podium finish for both drivers once again. Leclerc running P2, signs P3. It's another strong finish for this team, and now they are the ones to beat right now. Now, I don't know if Sergio Perez could have held off Leclerc in the Grand Prix. He certainly can defend like a lion. We absolutely know that. That's for sure. But... I kind of like this battle between Max and Charles. And so I'm more interested in that than, let's say, Red Bull and Ferrari. And Carlos Sainz and Sergio Perez put on a show like that, fine. But Max and Charles, given their history, their age, they grew up together in karting. I'm really enjoying this. Now, we will see if these two enjoy racing each other on, you know, round 11 or round 12. When you get a championship fight, then you get the pressure within that championship fight. You know, a little bit of a temper can start percolating. Some complaining can happen. I mean, we had a little bit of that. Max radioing in that he thought Charles Leclerc was crossing the line of, of the pit lane. You're not allowed to do that. But nevertheless, right now, they seem to be enjoying the racing. They seem to be enjoying the battles. Leclerc said it. That was nice, uh, even though he finished P2. But we'll see as we get closer and closer towards where this championship may be heading if this is how they feel about each other come round 15. All right, Mercedes. That's a best of the rest finish for George Russell. He finished P5 in the Grand Prix. And when it was... But it was a disastrous weekend for Lewis Hamilton. He didn't get out of Q1. He finished 10th. And again, I know people want to point to the machine and the car and say it's not that surprising. I thought it was very surprising that he couldn't get out of Q1. I mean, sorry. I, I just think Lewis Hamilton should be able to take that car into Q1. Russell could. So why couldn't Hamilton? Russell's race, though, rather uneventful. I mean, he simply had a car that could be in the top 10, and he'd put it in the top 10. Hamilton, though, started on hard tires and then couldn't pit during the virtual safety car, but he did put in some solid laps as those tires started to wear in. Nevertheless, his weekend was done in with problems during the qualifying. Now, normally, we see a bad finish from Hamilton because of a mechanical failure or a crash of some sort. This was just a bad drive on Saturday, which led to problems in the Grand Prix. Mercedes does have work to do, and they know that, but, you know, they did get a podium with Lewis Hamilton in Bahrain. This is a P5 finish for George Russell. Obviously, they want both cars at the top. Obviously, they want both cars running in podium finishes, but they're making better progress uh, with this new car than, let's say, McLaren, who we'll get to in just a minute. All right, let's turn our attentions to Haas. The team had only one car on the grid for the Grand Prix Sunday. That was after Mick Schumacher suffered a horrific crash in qualifying on Saturday. It was a very, very violent blow to the wall. Uh, it brought out the red flag Saturday for quite a while. I'm glad Schumacher was okay. The car was wrecked. Kevin Magnussen, the only driver for the team on the grid Sunday, and he got them some points. Albeit it wasn't a haul, it was a P9 finish, but nevertheless, Haas will take any points that they can get right now. He started on the hard 
tires to start the Grand Prix. Almost everyone else was on mediums, and that hurt him when the safety car came out on lap 16. Gunther Steiner, though, said morale is extremely high. The team is heading to Australia uh, for round number three. Uh, how could it not be high? I mean, after the season that they had with the two rookie drivers and no points and last place finishes every single weekend, they've got a driver in Kevin Magnuson that's getting them points. They've got a very quick car. People are commenting on it. Drivers are saying how quick the Haas is. It's got to be feeling good that they're their dedication to the 2022 car is now paying off in the first two races of this season. I mean, maybe Mick Schumacher, if he had not crashed on Saturday, uh, could have gotten in some points as well. And we will see when we go to Albert Park in Australia as Haas continues its season on a strong note. McLaren, uh, this is a mixed bag because Daniel Ricciardo had to retire the car, but Lando Norris finished P7. Now, it seems a step in the right direction for the team after they had a bad opener in Bahrain where they finished near the bottom of the field. Norris really showed some good pace towards the end of this Grand Prix. They felt like they could have gotten both cars in points, but they'll, they'll take them wherever they can get them. Daniel Ricciardo retiring was too bad, but they really showed that they're making a little bit of progress. How much progress? We'll see. They, they both admitted that there is still some work to do in developing the car. That was a given. I think kind of say that after this Grand Prix knowing that that you know they're not running near the front they're not putting their cars in a position to get a podium or a P4 or a P5 best of the rest they're not there yet but both drivers did start this Grand Prix outside the top 10 neither one of them could make it into Q3 so give Lando a great drive credit for this race and Daniel Ricciardo again felt like he could have put the car in the top 10 as well so some progress there from a Claren, but let's not go overboard. I mean, they still do have some work to do. Alfa Romeo, no points for the team. Valtteri Bottas was forced to retire. Zoguanu finished P11. Bottas had a pretty good race going before his engine temperature got a little too hot and they wanted to save the engine, so his race ended early. As for Guanu, he got a time penalty after he overtook Alex Albon off the track and then didn't give that position back. He had to serve a drive through penalty afterwards when the uh, stewards determined that his timed penalty wasn't served properly. So after both drivers scored points in Bahrain, a very disappointing weekend in Jeddah for Alfa Romeo that neither one of them got any points at all. Alfa Tari, Yuki Tsunoda, well, he didn't even start the Grand Prix, losing power on the way to the grid, so it was up to Pierre Gasly. He was able to get a P8 out of the race and get some points. In Bahrain, it was Yuki Tsunoda who was able to get points with the team, Gasly dropping out. In Saudi Arabia, the other way around. Uh, he had to hold off both Kevin Magnussen and Lewis Hamilton, who had fresher tires but he held his own for a top 10 finish. And also he did so after losing track position due to pitting just before the safety car. He was one of those cars that came in just before the Latifi crash brought out the safety car. So he was able to get back into the top 10 for the team. Aston Martin, Nico Hulkenberg once again filling in for Sebastian Vettel, who's dealing with COVID. He finished P12. Lance Stroll ran P13. As I mentioned earlier, Stroll and Alex Albon got tangled up a little bit. But so far, it's been a rough season for Aston Martin. They got no points once again. No points in Bahrain. No points here. Lance was on the mediums, and Hulkenberg ran on the hards. They tried to do a different strategy for Hulkenberg. That hurt him with the early safety car. Anybody that was on the hards got hurt with the early safety car. Stroll, after getting tangled up with Albon, said that they felt like they could make a push uh, towards the top, but that tanglement sort of derailed them. Yeah, you know, it's kind of what you say when you get into a, into a scuffle late in the race. 
But again, it's a tough season so far after two rounds for the team. Uh, Vettel is expected to return to Albert Park. So we'll see again if he's got a handle on this machine and they can make some progress uh, throughout the season. Uh, Williams. Uh, is this going to be the same old Williams over the past couple of years? A DNF for both drivers. Nicholas Latifi crashed on lap 16, losing the rear of the car in the final turn. That crash, of course, sent out the safety car, and that became a story of this Grand Prix. It hurt Sergio Perez. It hurt Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Albon, though, again, contact with Stroll towards the end. Um, he suffered a puncture that caused him to retire as well. He was racing for 11th. He felt that cost him a chance to get into the top 10, but again, no points for Williams. You know, we talked about this in previous podcasts, we feel like Williams under new management, under new ownership are making a move to be part of the midfield fight so far. They have not done that in the first two races. I know it's early, but they haven't shown that they're capable of being in a midfield fight yet. There's still going to be some development within the car, but right now they're not showing much of a fight at all in the first two races of the season. All right, Alpine, Esteban Ocon finishing P6. Fernando Alonso had to retire the car after losing power late in the race. Ocon, remember, he lost out on a podium finish last year at Saudi Arabia to Valtteri Bottas. Remember that front stretch drag race to the line and Bottas was able to get that position. So Ocon continues to be strong at the Jetta circuit. The two drivers did battle it out for some positions for a few laps, both calling it fair, enjoyable wheel-to-wheel racing, and then they sort of settled into their groove. Alonso, though, again, you hear drivers say this all the time, but he said it as well. He felt like he had a top 10 car, probably did, and it was pretty clear that he did certainly have the pace for that. Alpine now P4 in the championship standings. So now there's a two-week break before they head to Australia to run at Albert Park. First time they will be at that circuit since 2019. Remember, they did arrive in 2020, just before COVID began its worldwide shutdown. So they were in Australia getting ready to race when the news came down that that was canceled and everything in the sports world across the globe started to come to a halt. I think you're going to start hearing a lot of media members, teams, drivers, officials talk about that, sort of remembering the sort of where they were when they realized that COVID-19 was going to alter the 2020 calendar like it did. But it's going to be fun to get back to Australia after a couple of years off. For me here in Nashville, Tennessee, it's a midnight start central time here in the United States. I sort of like those races when they're up at the middle of the night. Uh, I, I don't mind getting up early for a Grand Prix, like 4 a.m. to watch a Grand Prix at Istanbul Park or staying up till midnight. I kind of like that. It's a little more fun than getting up at, let's say, some of the Grand Prix start for me at like 7, 8 in the morning on Sunday. So I, I enjoy the sort of late night the different schedule that Formula One can give me. And we will have a preview of the Australian Grand Prix coming up uh, later in the next week or so for on this podcast. So now I want to get to a, a, a topic that I think was on a lot of people's mind, but not a lot of dissection or analysis. There were a few media members who went out on a limb and wrote articles about this, given the circumstances around the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And I want to touch on it, too, whether or not the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix should be existing in the first place. Now, for those of you who are following the sport very closely, many of you know that there was a missile strike on a facility, an oil facility out side of the Jeddah circuit. Seven miles away, there was a missile strike and black smoke started to fill the skies and it made all the drivers and teams pretty concerned. 
they were given assurances that everything was safe and that they were safe and should continue to race. And in the end, of course, that's exactly what they did. There were some drivers that, again, voiced their concerns about this. Some even said, you know, we're going to be united and not run this Grand Prix. But they were convinced by Stefano Domenicali that they should be racing. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I am some super knowledgeable inside the beltway kind of guy who knows everything that's going on in global politics. But I have to tell you, just my instinct, that if I was here in Nashville and there was a missile strike seven miles away from my house or where I do business, I wouldn't feel safe at that particular moment. Maybe I would still do business, but I wouldn't feel safe. Those are two totally different things. It's one thing to brave it out, but it is another thing to feel completely secure. I can't imagine that there was teams on that grid, that every single person, every driver, every mechanic, every engineer, every PR individual, anybody associated with this sport, whether it was a media member or just sponsor, that was 100% sure that the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix was safe, regardless of the assurances that they were given by government officials. I just can't buy that. If a missile strike happens seven miles from where you are, tell me you are 100% sure that you feel safe. All right. That doesn't mean you can't race and it doesn't mean you can't perform your job. Again, two totally different things. Now, Formula One is an expensive sport. We know that. And they get $55 million to run the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And you've got to be extracting as much money as you possibly can for this extremely expensive sport. But on the flip side of it, there are two schools of thought when it comes to racing in countries that have terrible human rights violations, that are dealing with terrorist strikes within certain places in the country, and that is whether or not you should be doing business with them at all. There are two sides to this argument when it comes to performing sporting events at countries where they are pretty shaky on the global, on the global scene. One, and you hear this a lot within Formula One and other sporting ventures that go into countries like Saudi Arabia. We want to shine light on what is going on with that country. We want to use our sport to promote a worldwide conversation on their abuses of human rights. But on the flip side of that, on the other hand, you're taking their money. And on the other hand, whether you like it or not, you're doing exactly what that country wants you to do for them. That's why it's called sports washing, right? That's why they are using sports to hide some of the atrocities that the country is performing against individuals. The drivers can protest as much as they want, but in the end, there's only so much that they can do. When a Grand Prix is run, the Grand Prix becomes a story. And I'm certainly in that mix. I just did full 20 minutes on the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And not once in the review of that race did I mention the terrorist attack until this segment. So media members who were at the Grand Prix reporting on it did two jobs. One, report on the Grand Prix. It's round two of the world championship. Whether it's held in Saudi Arabia or anywhere else, it's still a Grand Prix that needs to be recorded for the sports history and put into context. But on the flip side, there were a number of columnists who said, wow, there's a missile strike seven miles away. Should we be even doing this? And that's legitimate as well. When Formula One races at Qatar, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, it may shine a little light into what's going on in that country. But in the end, what is shined more is the race itself and the event itself. 
There's no grandiose national worldwide conversation that occurs about human rights in Saudi Arabia when we're discussing Red Bull versus Ferrari. It just doesn't lend itself to do that. And I do think that these sports entities have an issue at times with going to places, taking the money of these countries, and in return, expecting some sort of change to come because they're there doing their job and now the world can see. It just doesn't seem to work that way. It just doesn't. Right? In 1980, the United States boycotted the summer games in Moscow. They didn't go to the Soviet Union to, to say, look at what they've done to Afghanistan. We are still going to compete, but my God, pay attention to what they're doing. Jimmy Carter at the time said, no, none of our athletes are going to the Soviet Union. And in return, the Soviet and the Eastern Bloc countries in 1984 didn't come to the Olympics in Los Angeles four years later. The Saudi Golf League is another one that it gets popped up a lot where Phil Mickelson here in the United States got in trouble because he wanted to use that to sort of get some change on the PGA Tour. But he was willing to go into business with people from the Saudi Golf League, even though he admitted in an interview that they're pretty scary. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand the financial constraints that Formula One is in. It is trying to maximize its profits. It is trying to maximize its financial stability. Totally get it. Very expensive sport, very expensive sport to run. But I also think that this sport does need to take an inside look at itself as to what exactly is going on when they go to these countries. Are they doing what some have said is the possibility of them arriving at these Grand Prix in the first place? Are we seeing a conversation globally based on what Saudi Arabia does with its citizens, what Qatar and Bahrain do with it, with their citizens? Are we actually seeing that? Or is that just a cover for, we love their money, wouldn't it be nice if we had a conversation but in the end, that's not our problem. Goodbye. But the other thing, too, is I don't think that missile attack should be dismissed. Nothing happened. Everyone was safe. Thank God there wasn't an attack on the circuit. But again, a missile strike seven miles away should have woken the sport up to exactly where they are and what exactly is going on. If the Yemen rebels can throw a missile seven miles away at an oil refinery plant, they certainly can launch one that could hit the Grand Prix. And cars going around a circuit and fans in attendance and officials doing their job and everybody else that was involved in the running of that of that particular race. And I think that it was hard to swallow the idea that there were assurances that there was everyone at that Grand Prix was safe. I don't think that's true. Now, there was a report that said that the ability of the drivers in the teams to get out of the country had they not run the race would have been compromised. Now, that was refuted by a lot of reliable sources, so it, it, that probably did not take place, but here, here's my point. The fact that it was believable seems to be a little concerning. I mean, all look at all the other countries Formula One races in, right? Like, how many of them could hold planes at the airport and you would believe that that would take place, right? Not here in the United States, not in a lot of places in Europe, right? Like, they're not, the government isn't going to hold planes if they refuse to run a Grand Prix. But the fact that there was a story that said the Saudi Arabian government would do that, even if it's completely untrue, and again, it was refuted by a lot of reliable sources, made, at first you go, well, yeah, that's what they do. Right. Like it's it, it that should be concerning enough to the to the powers that be within Formula One. But the bottom line is these races will continue. The money is too good and they do want to expand the global footprint of the sport. So I completely understand. 
But nevertheless, I hope there is more of a conversation about where Formula One goes and what the circumstances are like in those cities and countries that they race at, because I think that it's important. I'm not asking for drivers to boycott races, but if they could use their voice uh, in more in unification where the, when they go to these countries where there is some concern, whether it is terrorist attacks or the atrocities committed by the government, I think that would be a huge step. All right, we will have our Australian Grand Prix preview that is coming up uh, next week, so be on the lookout for that. Once again, subscribe to the channel if you like what we're doing as we continue along in season number two of the Overtake Formula One podcast. Leave us a five-star review. That certainly helps us grow the channel. Share it with your friends. You can like us on Facebook as well, the Overtake F1 podcast. You can find us there. And if you do want to hit me up on Twitter, at Tony D Radio, I have a national sports show um, here in the United States. So I can talk all sorts of stuff with you, including Formula One. All right, that's going to do it. Congratulations to Max Verstappen and Red Bull for winning the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. We'll have the Australian Grand Prix preview coming up next week. I'm Tony Desiri, and this is the Overtake Formula One podcast. Podcast.